College admissions and transitions can be overwhelming. SATs, AP classes, resumes, financial aid, and the list goes on. We as parents and counselors are here to help our teenagers make sense of it all and empower them to make good decisions. If you want to see your child succeed in that transition, which we all do, it comes down to helping them accept who they are. That's why we created Self Accepted, guiding families through college admissions and big transitions. This bi-monthly podcast will answer the questions that we hear parents asking all the time, so you'll be prepared to send your child into their bright future. Hi, I'm Dr. Beth Denard. My students and their families call me Yoda Beth. Not because I've trained Jedi for 800 years, but something pretty close. For the last 40 years, I've helped families prepare and transition their students successfully into adulthood. A pretty comparable feat, don't you agree? I'm the owner and director of Bright Futures Consulting, a U.S. Air Force veteran, former college admissions counselor, mentor, mom, and grandmother. I'm excited to share what I know with you, both from my formal education and the School of Hard Knocks. I want to lead you away from misleading information and the college frenzy and closer to having answers that move your teenager forward towards their bright future. Let's get into it. Howdy, Dr. Beth Denard here. Today I'm joined by Bright Futures Director of Operations and College Counselor, Elena Guerra. This is Elena's second time on our podcast. If you haven't heard her on episode eight, I encourage you to play that next. Um, Elena got her MED in higher education from the University of Houston, and she's also a certified educational planner. Thanks for being here, Elena. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So I'm glad to have you back on episode 11 today because we're about to unpack a really pressing topic for so many students and their families. In this particular episode, we're talking about the rules of engagement for college admissions. If and how these rules have or are changing with college admissions, making it feel like the Wild West this year. And boy, doesn't it feel like the Wild Wild West And finally, we'll talk about why it's in your students' best interest to learn the roles of engagement and how to embrace and succeed in this uncertain time, especially right now. So let's get right into it. Before we can talk about the roles of engagement for college admission, we really should start off by talking about who creates the rules in the first place. So teens are notorious for getting frustrated with rules in a society that's really pretty much run by adults. And especially when they don't know why they exist or who made them. So when your teenager asks, who decided how the whole college admissions process works anyway, you can tell them. So first of all, the rule makers are the National Association for College Admission Counseling, NACAC. Sounds like I'm quacking like a duck when I say NACAC but they are the professional organization with the rules and codes of ethics that try to keep the college admission process equitable, accessible, and transparent. So they have rules for the college side of the desk, and they also have rules for the high school and secondary school counselors and students who are applying to college side of the desk. So parents, when you work with a college counselor, like the um, folks at Bright Futures Consulting, it's really important to check that they are members of one of three professional organizations that govern all legitimate independent educational consultants. So the three organizations 
are, well, one is NACAC, like I mentioned before. Another one is HECA, or the Higher Education Consultants Association. And another one, IECA, or the Independent Educational Consultant Association. And this information will be in the show notes. It's really important that the people you work with independently are members of these organizations because it means that they know the rules and have agreed in writing to abide by the code of ethics and the principles of good practice. So an independent educational consultant who is part of the Higher Education Consultants Association, we are at Bright Futures and we operate on principles of good practice. We ensure our students abide by the rules. Now, this may seem less important to students at a time like now, in which the rules seem to change every single week, but it really isn't less important. Even though many students are not going to school every day in person and taking standardized tests because they keep getting canceled, they may think the current rules changes will continue and assume it's a free-for-all. Well, with virtual schooling and a lack of the structure and the standardized test, your student might feel like the rules no longer apply. But in truth, they still do. There are rules to be followed, and they are even more important now than ever to your student's future. Is that right, Elena? It is definitely right. So even now, during times of uncertainty, uh, whether it's employers or colleges, um, admissions officers, they want a sure thing, and that sure thing comes with rules, rules that need to be followed. So when they are looking for a, a sure thing, or let's call it assurance even, they're looking not just at qualifications that they have always looked at, but they're looking at them in a different light right now. Um, they want someone, again, who is qualified, but because of all the changes that are going on, they want to feel good about the applicant and whether that applicant, again, is someone they can trust, not just to attend their college if they say yes to them, but also follow the rules of the college because those college courses um, and that college experience might look a little different even for kids who are applying this year. So colleges are looking at demonstrated interests. They're looking at essays quantifiable data like test scores, and also the unquantifiable, that which reflects mostly character, um, which they're going to find in interviews and essays and the activities the student has chosen to engage in during high school. So when students think about applying to college and think about all the rules that they're following um, and what the colleges are really trying to ascertain from the applications, Imagine them being scared. Imagine them being really careful, these admissions officers, these colleges. Everyone's heard the phrase, measure twice, cut once. But right now, colleges are measuring twice and cutting once, but in the dark with gloves on. So it makes it that much harder. Um, so again, they might be putting restrictions on certain things um, just to be careful whether that's how many international students they're accepting into programs, knowing they might not be able to attend for health and security reasons next year, which again could affect their income as a college. Um, it could affect the experience uh, and quality they're able to provide to those international students. There's a lot of uncertainty, so they're being careful in that. Um, they also are recognizing that students are being careful. They recognize that here in Texas, um, and I'm sure in every state, more and more Texas teens are staying in-state considering public universities or private universities that are close to home so that they feel more secure. 
So the rules of engagement are changing. Um, if they, they might change for just this year, or these changes might be long-term and they might continue. So while it can seem like this is the wild, wild west, and there are, you know, constantly changing test dates and application deadlines and requirements to the applications, uh, you need to keep up with those changes. We need to keep up with those changes and make sure we are, again, playing by the rules and engaging in a way that is honest and fair. So why do we do this? Why do we as Bright Futures care so much about this? Well, we want students who follow the rules during a crisis to be rewarded, and they will be, because students who engage in a way that is ethical and fair will be rewarded in the end. Right. You know, it's so often the case that rule followers feel alone, like I'm the only one doing the right thing. They might think, well, everyone else is breaking the rules and not getting caught. So it may really discourage those students of ours and yours out there, parents, that it might they might feel discouraged at this point. But as the saying goes, cheaters never win. Of course, sometimes cheaters do win in the short term, but rarely in the long term. But remind your student to think about the long game, which is developing good character and a golden reputation. I like to give the analogy of a food harvest to my students. You know, there are two ways that you can get your vegetables. You can grow them yourself or buy them in the store. When you buy from the store, you're saving plenty of time for sure. But are the vegetables really the most natural? Are they grown in the most ethical, organic way? They might not be if you're buying them straight from the grocery store. But if you're growing and tenderly nurturing the vegetables in your own garden, then it's gonna be very, very reliable that those vegetables that require a lot more work uh, because you have to pull the weeds, you have to till the soil, you have to water, especially in Texas right now, it's been so dry and hot. You have to keep the bugs away and pull weeds, but you know that what you're growing in your garden is healthy and delicious and that it was grown ethically through your own honest work. Just think about that big, fat, juicy, homegrown tomato that's ripening on the vine right now. So remind your teenager to hang in there. The reward might not come in quickly, but when it does, it will be well worth it. Following the rules of engagement will bear fruit. So before we get into what the rules of engagement are, there are two R's. I know I, I heard Elena mentioning requirements are changing. So one of the R's is requirements. The other one is what is recommended. So sometimes young and experienced students and even parents who haven't applied to college in a while might not discern the difference between required and recommended. So when colleges list their requirements, these might be um, a high school transcript, um, the application, an essay. They might also require test scores, but right now those are <laughs> those requirements are changing weekly almost. Um, they also somewhat might require teacher recommendations and additional supplemental essays. But when you read the word required, that's the minimum. That's the minimum that your your application has to be comprised of before it's considered complete. Also required would be meeting the deadline. So applying, I always tell my students, apply before the deadline. Don't let the deadline drive you crazy. Just go ahead and get it done early so you're not on the edge of your seat or maybe you're 
your computer breaks down the day you're going to send your application and you always want to get everything done before a deadline and that would be a requirement now recommended um, some schools in the past have recommended uh, SAT subject test those are the tests that drill into the details of say English literature or Spanish language or physics so those are going to be usually recommended by the more selective colleges not required I think there's only a couple schools that even still require the SAT subject test but those those tests are usually recommended now we always tell our students if you're a good test taker and you have taken AP classes in those subjects that are also tested on the subject test it might be a good idea to go ahead and take them and send them in even though they're not required another thing is applying for scholarships is not required by colleges but you know if you want to be eligible for merit scholarships at a college you might want to apply again not required highly recommended by people here at bright futures consulting right elena oh absolutely so now that we've covered the two r's of applying let's talk about the different plans uh, that you can apply under for each of the colleges there are a few ways to go about it and it's important to figure out which way you're going to apply and decide on an admissions plan before you're really in the weeds of filling out the applications have a plan and choose the plans then you need to follow the rules that surround each application deadline or each application plan so there are six admission plans and your student will apply under the one that suits or fits their needs the best way the first one we're going to talk about because the deadline is approaching on November 1st and it comes up really early there's even a couple schools that have October 15 as their early decision deadline um, so this early decision deadline it comes up really fast I mean already August is ending it's going to be Labor Day in, a, in about a week it's just flying by the time is flying by especially for seniors even if they're not in school yet and you know they're at home doing online work they're going to be amazed before they know it it's going to be at the end of September and then the middle of October and then November so what we say is no pie until you apply so we really encourage our students to have all of their applications done before November 1 or Halloween or the holidays we'd like to have everything finished but when it's an early decision deadline it means it's even earlier um, so they have to have their application their test scores their essay and supplements letters of recommendation and transcripts turned in electronically drum roll by October 15th so yes you heard me right even though the deadline is November 1 at bright futures and for all my podcast listeners I'm telling you October 15th would be the very latest you should be sending in your early decision um, application and materials so that gives students a week to chase down any missing documents and if they have some recommenders that are slow to send in their letters of recommendation they can circle back to those teachers or counselors or or mentors and get those letters in on time so the schools that have um, early decision um, they're usually highly selective schools and some that are still very selective like Emory University Claremont Colleges Northwestern these offer early decision 
And it's, again, a very big deal because early decision means that you're applying to one college early. And the reason why I say only one is that when you're on your application, let's say you're using the common application, uh, your student will see if they're if they've indicated their admission plan is early decision, they'll see that there's a contract attached to that decision plan and they have to sign it. Of course, we always tell students, read the contract before you sign it because it's a binding agreement that if the school accepts the student, then the student will need to attend that school, providing the financial offers make the school affordable. So essentially, early decision admission plans are marriage contracts. And if you already have given the diamond ring to your beloved college, then you don't ask another college to marry you. So the early decision contract is binding. The only way out of it is if you cannot afford to pay tuition. Otherwise, it's a sealed deal. Now, the other thing is um, parents have to sign the contract. And the school counselor even indicates that this student that she's working with is only applying to one school early decision. So this all seems very straightforward and simple, right? If your student is qualified, has a competitive standardized test score and grades, and knows exactly the college where they want to enroll, and they want to commit early, then early decision is a great option. Just make sure you and your student have had the talk about finances. So listen to episode two for more details about how to have this financial talk with your student. So there is a smaller, um, super highly qualified applicant pool uh, in the decision plan that's early decision. Um, so if your student chooses to apply early decision, they'll be competing with fewer students, but Normally those students are very highly qualified for admission at those early decision schools. So after they apply on the early admission plan, which like I said, October 15th is a good date to choose, they'll essentially be finished with their college applications and won't have to finish applying to other schools unless they don't receive admission to that early decision school. Um, now, let's say that this is a scary big decision for, for students to decide to go early decision. And it's true that a fewer number of applicants apply during early decision, but the students that do apply in the early decision application pool are the cream of the crop. So the competition is very steep. Early decision can also be intimidating for students who don't feel totally sure about where they want to go to college. I mean, you're deciding by November of your senior year and you still have, you know, part of that semester and the whole spring semester of, of senior year left. So you might not want to commit so early and just see the other college applications and your admissions offers play out. So Elena, can you tell us some of the rules of engagement for students thinking about applying early decision? Uh, of course I can. I'd be happy to. So there are a few rules to keep in mind. Um, I would say the biggest thing that your teenager should think about, and honestly, this is the exact example I make teens run through in their mind before they even talk about early decision with me. I ask them, okay, if your top school lets you in, you know, early decision, I don't care what school that is. If it's a 
you know, top tier or almost a top tier in Ivy League, but if they let you in, would you still go there if your second choice school offered you an awesome scholarship? Because honestly, the merit award debate is probably one of the biggest factors when picking a college. Just because you get into a school does not necessarily mean that is the most financially savvy or even academically savvy choice for you. But really, it's the dollar signs, I think, that help um, a student, parents too, but really a student kind of think through whether that school is the top choice no matter what versus is it just a school you really want to go to? But if a better offer came in from somewhere else that was also an amazing fit, would you choose to go there instead? Because you can only apply to one school for early decision. You will have to go there, again, unless you can prove that you cannot financially afford to pay the tuition, um, you are going to go to that school or you're just not going to go to school that year. Uh, so they can apply to other schools, you know, that don't have early decision or that they choose not to apply early decision. So just because you apply ED to something does not mean you cannot apply elsewhere. You can absolutely apply early action or regular decision, rolling admissions, and we're going to talk about all these things later. But if you are accepted to various schools, you can only attend uh, the early decision one if they accept you. So this goes along with playing fair, sticking to the rules, um, because when you do apply early decision, they are essentially assuming that your spot is filled if they say yes. So if you have no intention of going to that school, if you get a better offer, then you have taken away a spot from another student who is also qualified. Uh, and that, again, you don't want to deny a qualified student a spot uh, by playing unfairly. So don't apply. Uh, also, here's the next rule is make sure your ducks are in a row when you are applying to early decision types of uh, types of schools. You should make sure your ducks in a row no matter what. But when you are applying early decision, they really need to be lined up. So whether that early decision school is test optional or not, um, make sure you have looked at all the requirements, whether that is uh, transcripts and essays, supplemental essays. Make sure you're going to be submitting scores if you are uh, with enough time for them to arrive at the college. Check if the college offers an extension period for the deadline. For some schools, if your application is in by the deadline, say October 15th or November 1st, they'll give you 30 days to turn the rest in. But most don't. Most require that everything is in by November 1st. So if you know that your school, if you attend a big public high school, um, or you know that your school has had a difficult time with the virtual online learning and has been taking a long time to get back to you with letters of rec or records or even your unofficial transcript, Take that into account. Don't wait till the last minute to ask for things, whether that's ordering your test scores, requesting your transcripts, your teachers to write letters of rec. You want to leave a minimum, honestly, of six weeks for those things to get done. Because yes, it is, you do need strategy, um, and that is part of the strategy, but this is playing smart. I say all that, but ultimately, it's not a game. 
you know, this is, this should be an enjoyable time thinking about your future. It's stressful, I know, but it should also be fun and enjoyable sometimes thinking about the awesome future you're going to have. But it's not a game in the sense that you should just approach it with a, you know, willy nilly, carefree attitude. It is something you should take seriously and think of it in a professional way. Um, and as we've been stating, it's something you definitely need to play by the rules, both out of fairness, but also out of um, just respect for the process. Mm. Yeah, that's really true. I, I'm so we're sort of talking to seniors right now, but I really want sophomores and juniors and parents of the sophomores and juniors to be listening in because, you know, for seniors to come into our meetings with us at this time of the year, late August, early September, and say, you know, I want to apply early decision to a college. I just don't know which college. Now, that's kind of the wrong thing to say at this time of year. It's usually the kids that I've worked with over the course of 35 years who are solid early decision applicants have been talking about the same college for probably, you know, five or six years of their lives. They've been in love with this school. And this has been their favorite school for so long, and they're just willing to commit early because of their long-standing attachment and the perfect fit nature of this school. It's not a game, like Elena said. So it's not like, I have to apply early decision somewhere. All my friends are applying early decision. No, you don't actually have to apply early decision anywhere. And if the early decision one deadline of November one is too early, then the next pathway your teen can choose to take is early decision two because there's a January 1 deadline. So there's a little bit more time to think about the commitment, to think about the options, to decide if this is really the best school for you. And this is, you know, your life is going to be so much more fulfilling if you go to this one uh, college or university. Now, these early decision two universities are very selective as well as the highly selective elite colleges. Vanderbilt, for example, offers offers early decision two. Um, the early decision two deadline, being that it's January 1, gives your student more time to prepare their application, get their test scores in, and even extra time to prepare academically because um, let's say they're still in their senior year, those first semester senior year grades possibly could be shared not maybe through an official transcript, but through sending uh, PDFs of, of report cards possibly. So the, the college can see the senior year grades at least the first semester before they make a decision. Um, and we didn't mention this, but one of the great benefits of applying early decision is that you will hear back that you're admitted to the college. Um, if you apply early decision one, you'll hear back before Christmas that you're admitted. If you're applying early decision two, you can hear back before the regular decision deadline applicants hear back. So it might be February or the 1st of March when other students might not hear back until April 1st. So it's nice to have, again, those decisions reached by the colleges before April 1. Um, so if you're willing to do an early decision two option, it's a great backup plan if a teenager didn't get into their first early decision school, they can apply early decision round two. So feeling rejection, that's the one thing I've, I've been um, very sensitive to over the years is my early decision applicants are in love with their first choice college. They're committed. 
They're signing a contract that indicate early decision. And when they are not admitted, it can really be heartbreaking for them. So having a backup plan even before they apply to that early decision one school would be, you know, helping relieving some of that painful initial rejection because they're going to get into more than one college. And it's great to have a safety or even a target school that's willing to offer you merit scholarships as a plan B. It'll also keep your students' morale and confidence high if they have applied to an early action school and received admission, say, before Christmas. So they already have like other options before they even hear back from their early decision one uh, college or university. So if you're thinking about applying early decision two, the same rules of engagement for early decision one also apply. You can only apply to one school, early decision two, and only apply if you're okay with committing to that school if you're accepted. And don't apply if your application materials aren't gonna be ready or if your test score is still really too low for the admitted applicant pool. Uh, you have to have a test score, you have to have the grades like Elena said, have all your ducks in a row before the January 1st deadline, because that's when everything has to be completed. So I mentioned early action. So let's say your student has all of their application materials ready early, but they're not willing to commit to one school in particular. For these students, early action may be a perfect route to take. I am really fond of early action because students are just so excited to find out um, in, this, in this age of, you know, immediate gratification when students submit their applications and let's say they have to wait until April 1 to hear back, that's a very long time to wait. But if they're applying early action, which typically it's a November 1st deadline, then they will hear back before the winter break. Now, the rules for early action are a lot more flexible than for early decision. Your student can apply to as many early action schools as possible and they don't have to make a final decision until the national May 1st deadline. So basically they're kind of collecting acceptances like a big bouquet of flowers, and they just get to enjoy those flowers until May 1, or we're recommending the middle of April so that it's not a scramble. Um, but Elena, can you talk about some of the benefits um, of applying early action? Sure. So with early action, as you've said, you're going to get to feel relief sooner rather than later. And in this kind of stressful process, we all know that students just kind of want to get an answer. Um, they want to know what their options are. And knowing before the holidays, especially knowing before Christmas, it can really feel like an early Christmas gift to have some of the pressure off. Sometimes I will have students apply early action again, just so they can get an answer sometimes as early as uh, the fall, like October or November, because some schools will respond within several weeks or less than two months. So just knowing, hey, I have an option, I have somewhere to go, it can really take the pressure off. Um, it can also, you know, give them some brain space to come up with supplements or, you know, think about interviews they have coming up for other colleges. So, you know, the benefit of early action is that you don't have to commit to a school right away. Um, the pros and cons, they, you know, are going to vary based on each decision, but that early action, it's really nice because it doesn't have the commitment level of the others, but it also, you know, does put on a little bit of extra pressure to get things done early. But then again, you're, you receive the gift of an early answer as well. So 
considering financial considerations works into that too, uh, because some schools do have, uh, it is like a first come first serve when it comes to merit aid. You're gonna see this at bigger public schools mostly, but usually the earlier you apply, the, you know, you're guaranteed to get whatever merit aid or financial aid awards that they, you know, say you qualify for, you're going to get those awards. You know, if you're waiting till like spring to apply to some of these bigger schools, you're going to lose, potentially lose out on that opportunity. Uh, And then some schools, again, have deadlines that almost line up with their early action uh, deadlines for certain types of scholarships, which they will give to you via your application if you qualify or not. So applying by those early action deadlines just kind of sets you up really nicely, again, not for just the early answer, but for the merit aid that you will receive based off of your application. You know, I'm really glad you brought that up because I I just thought about this. It's really, really important to know there's sort of an unpublished um, sort of a sneaky deadline that Elena is referring to, and it's called priority deadline, which has to do with scholarships, not really applying to college necessarily, but applying for those merit scholarships. And some even need-based scholarships are, um, their, their deadlines are early. They could be December 1. So again, this is a lot for a young teenager to manage. So parents, please help your student research the scholarship deadlines. Because if they're applying, we always say, if you apply by early action, November 1, then you will be, like Elena said, you'll, you'll be automatically considered for merit scholarships, which is a really great bonus. Now, the schools that offer early action are not going to be as selective as, say, Stanford, Harvard, Duke. Um, they're going to be excellent colleges and universities, but they may not be the most selective, which is why they really want to um, have you apply early so they can wine you and dine you and you can qualify for merit scholarships. So some private schools, including Stanford and Harvard, also have restricted early action. Um, In this pathway to college admissions, your student applies to one and only one school, early action. So remember, Elena was saying you can apply to as many schools as you want to apply if you're using early action, but if you have restricted early action, It's restricted in the sense that you can only apply to that one early action school. And again, like because it's action and not decision, if you're accepted, then you're not obligated to attend that school. Instead, you can choose to attend another university that may um, even have a later deadline. Uh, You may be able to compare financial aid and scholarship offers. It just gives you that time and not that commitment. So, just understand that if you choose to apply restricted early action, there's only one highly selective uh, application that can go out under that decision plan, under that application plan. The other thing about it is those universities that offer this are going to be those elite schools like Stanford, Harvard, and they do not restrict you from applying early action to your in-state public university. So some in-state public universities like University of Texas at Austin, it does have an early action deadline. And so you're not restricted if it's an in-state public. So Elena, can you talk about why students might choose to apply restricted early action? Well, so restricted early action, also called single choice early action sometimes, um, it's not binding, like you said. So students who are going to apply 
for one, let's be clear, you cannot apply early decision to another university if you are applying restrictive early action. Um, the early decision people, it's not so much from them, but from the restrictive early action people from those colleges, they are going to tell you if you are doing REA with us, do not apply ED early decision somewhere else. But um, for students who are highly qualified, but don't necessarily want to be committed to a school just because that school says yes, this is a great way of showing interest, um, showing, again, that you're willing to get all your ducks in a row early. Uh, it also shows that you think you are highly qualified and a good fit for that school. Because among restrictive early action, um, they are going to be picking from the cream of the crop there, typically. Um, and saying, I only am going to apply to you restrictive early action. It's telling them you are my top choice. Um, so the school will know that and know that you're not applying early decision or REA to anywhere else. So again, it kind of increases the amount of interest they know you have in that school. And when students do that, um, because the students do have a choice to say no, those very highly qualified students, the schools know they can go elsewhere because they are that highly qualified. So it can increase that chance um, that you will get selected for that school if you are a highly, highly qualified applicant. Um, but again, the biggest reason is it shows that uh, you have a big interest in the school, but it is not binding. So you can say no, and it doesn't have to be for financial reasons. Mm. Well, we did talk about how, you know, some students show up in our offices this time of year and say, I'm applying early decision or restricted early action, um, but I just don't know which one to apply to and how silly that sounds to us because we know uh, the kind of student it takes to commit and then the ones that really want that open door and want time to process. Um, so they've probably heard from their friends that are applying early decision or single choice early action. And the same thing goes, I mean, so people in admissions also have friends. And so uh, what I was gonna say is, you know, students might wonder now, how is how are the universities gonna know if I apply to two schools, restricted early action, or two schools, early decision? Well, you know, in the past recently, actually very recently, uh, colleges and universities were caught sharing lists of names of students who were breaking the rules. And so, of course, um, my point here is not to get on uh, and sort of chastise the universities and colleges for sharing those lists, even though they are confidential. It's just to say that students were breaking the rules and one time uh, a rule is broken, usually more rules are gonna get broken. And that's what I want to just caution you about. Let's respect the rules of engagement that we're talking about to keep the application process fair, honest, and ethical for everyone involved. So now we're getting to the big applicant pool, regular decision. So this is maybe for the students who are just maybe a little bit of uh, late bloomers or they're still waiting to get their best grades for semester. They're waiting to get that test score up. They're waiting to see if they get elected class president or team captain and they wanna just hold off and apply until they're really, really, really sure and really, really ready. Okay, so the deadline for this is typically in January. So it's after the holidays and your student can even use the holidays as a time to work on their applications and their essays. 
And sometimes I've found students that are super busy, especially uh, varsity athletes, they might choose this pathway also because maybe they're considering a lot of athletic offers and they just don't want to commit. Um, so they're, they're just not going to play their trump card until they're really, really ready. So they might wait till their regular decision pool. Um, now, Elena, can you talk about a scenario in which you would recommend a student apply under the regular decision plan? Sure. There are actually several times when I would recommend a student apply regular decision. Uh, so if a student has applied early decision two or early, early decision one or two, but didn't get an offer from you know, either of those schools or just the one school, then they should definitely apply regular, regular decision to the rest or to their second choice schools. Um, typically those ED schools, if you are applying, then you have kind of affirmed that you are a good qualifier for that school. Um, you've met their, you know, typical standard requirements, you've strategized on it, and a lot of work goes into that. So not every student wants to, you know, completely finish off their college list during that time. They put a lot of effort into those early decision or restrictive early action schools. And kind of are brain dead for a little while because they're also trying to complete senior year. So once that decision time has come and gone, if they received a no, uh, then they can apply regular decision again to other schools and get those answers back typically in the spring, which is pretty common. Another reason a student might apply regular decision to a school is just to get more options for financial savings. So if they've already gotten some acceptances from their early action schools, you know, they're not committed to any particular school at the moment, uh, they can apply regular decision to additional schools and see if those schools are going to offer more scholarships or bigger scholarships. And then finally, the deadline of regular decision is in January. So from a strategy point, uh, if a student has had maybe a, a difficult um, start to senior year or they didn't have the most amazing junior year, which is very common right now because of, of course, the pandemic and what's been happening. Uh, so we're hearing this issue come up a lot. If you wait till January to submit to regular decision schools, then you can usually submit your first semester grades from senior year. So again, if you ended junior year not quite as strongly as you'd like, and you feel like that makes you maybe a slightly weaker candidate for a particular school, then if that school does offer early decision, wait for the end of the first semester of senior year. Get those grades in, you know, and hopefully those grades um, really reflect how strong of a student you are. And you can include that with your application and give it a little bit of a boost. So again, lots of reasons why a student might apply regular decision, but it's going to vary per student. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think um, just to mention that we go over all these different application plans with students at the end of their junior year. So they go into senior year with a strategy like Elena keeps referring to. So if you're a senior listening to this or a parent of a senior and you really have no clue about which plan to apply under, Maybe just regular decision would be great, or even rolling. Rolling admissions is the next category or the, the next plan we're talking about. It comes in so handy because some students, for one reason or another, maybe they uh, become ill, maybe their parents uh, lose employment, or you know the world is just changing very quickly right now. 
So having the luxury of a rolling admissions plan gives so much flexibility to students. It's the most flexible plan. And basically how it works is there really is no deadline. So I remember having uh, worked with a student who was applying to LSU and he was applying and he came in my office like toward the end of May actually. And I was thinking, wow, this is really late. He's a senior graduating, about to graduate and he's applying to LSU. But he was a super highly qualified student, uh, very good test scores, very good grades. He knew exactly what he wanted to major in. And so he applied to LSU, got in and got a full tuition scholarship and, that, and he didn't even apply until May because LSU at that time had rolling admissions. So it's not that these schools are lesser known or they're not good schools. It's just they choose to offer this plan because it works out for them and it works out for students and families. Um, I also worked with a student who attended a public school, didn't have a counselor that he had a good relationship with, and his parents really didn't know much about colleges. So we couldn't really ask them for advice. And so he just applied to random schools, random universities and colleges that he'd heard of, and he got into them. So when he came to me for advice, um, his basic problem was he got into all of his colleges, but he didn't like any of them. <laughs> And he's like, what do I do now? I don't even want to go to these colleges where I've been accepted. And so I said, well, let's look at the ones that have rolling deadlines because there might be some among uh, those colleges that really appeal to you and that are better fits for you. And sure enough, we found some, he applied and got in and that's where he went was to one of the rolling admissions colleges. So the deadlines are also, like I said, they, some of them don't even have deadlines but you need to check all of this information on the college or university website to make sure you know the deadlines. And even specific majors at various universities have different deadlines. This is a very confusing realm that we're talking about. And that's why you have to check websites regularly. And this is a good time to go in and check and make a chart of all the deadlines for all the schools you're considering applying to right now. Yeah, I think you said it all. Um, rolling admissions, they offer a ton of flexibility. You are going to typically find them in the larger public schools, like your state schools. Um, just because they have such a big capacity for students, they usually hold anywhere from 20 to 50,000 undergrads. So because of that, they have the room to allow for students or latecomers um, to apply and still have, um, you know, the financial aid to support students who are applying for financial aid. They'll still have some merit scholarship awards. It may not be guaranteed, but they often do still have that. Um, and as you've already said, those deadlines can vary. May 1st is, in the past, has been the standard date of when you would have to have a decision in by. However, um, starting last year even, schools have pushed that to June 1st, July 1st, um, and some schools will let you enroll basically right up until the fall semester has started. So do your research, look at those dates, see what the options are, um, and just make sure you're not, you know, one, missing out on an opportunity, but two, make sure you aren't missing out on an opportunity because the deadline has already passed. So you just want to be careful, get a spreadsheet going or something. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the main role of engagement for rolling admission is just to submit your application and all the required materials. And, you know, even if you have a student activities resume that's 
very, very impressive. Or let's say you've written an essay, but an essay is not even required for the rolling admission university. Sometimes you can submit those via email to the admissions representative for your region and still be considered for scholarships. Um, as well as if you're kind of a weaker applicant and you're just getting around to applying and it's already April of your senior year, you know, even, even sending in materials that are not uh, on the required list, but they're above and beyond in addition to the required materials, go ahead, send the resume, um, let them know you're a, a very accomplished athlete or a musician. Doesn't hurt because sometimes those departments still offer scholarships that can be stacked or um, give you opportunities to play your instrument or play your sport, even if you're applying light. So we've been talking about um, some unspoken rules about senior year and senioritis is one of them. The bottom line about this unspoken rule, senioritis, is that uh, it, it happens. It happens. Seniors have been in school for 13 years, counting kindergarten, they've been in school most of their lives and they're just sometimes a little tired of school. So they get a little, um, they get a little rambunctious sometime after the Christmas holidays. They start feeling like they're more adults and they um, might not take such great care with their grades. So what the most selective universities require of all applicants is a mid-year report. Now, unless they're applying early decision, which means they've already um, completed their application, but some of them even still require the mid-year report. That is a report of all your grades first semester senior year. And the reason why they want those grades is that any offer of admission is basically an offer that can be revoked. If senioritis kicks in and students start goofing off and not going to class and not uh, earning the super high grades or the decent grades that they have been earning. So the offer, of the offer of admission is tentative based on completing high school. And so also I've noticed some students like to have an impressive list of senior courses going into the application process. And then after the, after the winter holidays, they come back and they're like, well, I'm just feeling tired of school and I just don't wanna take the second semester of that calculus class or I really don't wanna write that research paper for AP English literature. And so, you know, senioritis is really, it can really be the kiss of death for enrollment because enrollment is based off of a completed senior transcript, completing high school, having that transcript sent to the college, and then you get to enroll um, and attend college. So if you think you can cut the classes down and just goof off during the spring semester. It's just not gonna. It's just not gonna work in your favor. Um, another rule is May first. I think Elena referred to it. It's National Decision Day. Now that day is the day that many high school seniors make their final decision about which university they will accept an offer of admissions to. By this date, your student will have applied to multiple schools, maybe as many as you could afford. Uh, because each application costs anywhere from, you know, 60 to $75. Some colleges offer uh, free, um, free applications, so you can apply without paying an application fee, but most of them will have some fee. Um, but at the end of the day, students 
can only enroll in one institution. Let's say they've applied to 13 schools. We, ad we advise they apply to six to eight universities. But if, if a student gets into all the schools they apply to, they have a big problem because they can only attend one university, one college. So parents, think about this process the same way you would think about shopping for a new home. Suppose you placed offers on five different homes. Most people just place an offer on one. But now imagine that each seller accepts your offer. That's great. You now have five homes that you could buy. Um, but you really can't buy five different houses, or maybe you can. But if you can't, uh, you can only live in one. You have one family and you can live in one house. And if you take too long to think over all the decisions and you can't pick just one, then you might miss out on a new home in the meantime while you're making up your mind. So encourage your student to play fair when it comes to their decisions and to do a lot of their thinking and strategies early, even before senior year, so they can go into the application process in a very smart, rule-abiding way. Exactly. And if a student can't decide right away on what college they want to accept an offer from, that is okay. Just ask the college admissions officer for more time. But no matter what, like Beth was saying about the multiple houses, don't enroll in multiple schools, don't make a double deposit. It can seem really tempting, especially for families that can afford to you know, lose one of the deposits, but don't do it. It's unethical, it's not fair, and it kind of just gives you a little black mark and you never know what's going to happen in the future. And you want to make sure that you are seen uh, and your student is seen as someone that, you know, follows the rules uh, of engagement because doing stuff like that, uh, double depositing or double enrolling, it just messes up enrollment management. Um, they're, you know, setting aside a room for your student. They're making sure they have enough uh, space and especially now with COVID and they're probably going to still be taking care of things um, when we get to this point next year. And just, you know, again, making sure that students have healthy living spaces, et cetera. When you do things like this, it can make that it that much harder on the school side. Mm. Yeah. I mean, rules are there to guide uh, you and to maintain your integrity and to keep you from um, getting off track in life. And so at the end of the day, your student's job isn't merely to meet the deadlines, it's to beat the deadlines. We've talked a lot about different decision plans, their deadlines, what goes with it, required, recommended. There's a lot of rules in this process because it is part of the adult world. College is part of the process for entering adult life. And so the people that are barely going to turn in a paper and not do their best and not have it turned in on time, that's really not the way to win in life. And so this process is trying to teach young people the way to succeed in the adult world. And there are rules. And, you know, I even say beat the deadlines. Make sure that everything is done way before the deadlines to avoid all the stress and panic that goes with staying up all night just to get something done and then turning it in so it's half-baked. Half so, Elena, are you have some tips that you could use to persuade students to follow the rules? So it's not just about following the rules. Sometimes it's about even going above and beyond, you know, following the rules, but going the extra mile. And part of that is being prepared. I've had kids that knew they wanted to apply for early decision, but they didn't know where to go. And that's an issue, which kind of goes into the next thing of knowing yourself. 
You want to know what's a good fit for you. You want to know what the limitations are as far as, you know, finances or the type of curriculum you want to follow or how far away you want to be from home. These are all things you need to take into consideration before you even start thinking about whether you want to apply for early decision. Also, don't scramble because that just leads to being overwhelmed. Um, and it's not an excuse to take shortcuts. We've all been there. We've all, you know, been in school or, you know, had a project that was due and we find ourselves waiting to the last minute and wanting to skip ahead or, you know, writing that essay for your English three paper and you want to copy and paste something and it would seem so easy. But honestly, one, it's just going to make you more stressed worrying that you're going to get caught. Um, and if you just prepared ahead of time, you know, it helps you from feeling overwhelmed. It lets you do things ethically, fairly, um, and have the reward of knowing that you did things correctly. And if you do feel like you're scrambling, reach out for help. There are people like us around. There are friends and parents and college admissions officers who are there to answer your questions. Um, and we, they would rather you reach out to them and take up some of their time than take a shortcut or do something, again, that's really going to bite you <laughs> at the end of things. We're trying to create ethical adults that we want to be friends with one day. We aren't just moving on to the next class of students. Um, we care about our clients. We care how they represent themselves. We care that they own their process and that they feel good at the end of it um, about who they are and how they represented themselves. You know, that's right. Following the rules and even superseding them as you recommend, it builds self-confidence. It builds self-esteem. There's no other way to build your self-esteem than to live a good life, feel good about yourself, do the right thing, live by your own internal values and the values that your parents have uh, instilled in you. Now, when we're talking about superseding the rules, you might be thinking, you know, Wow, Bright Futures consultants, they go above and beyond in terms of pushing down, pushing these rules around. And it, it is a way of setting ourselves apart and our clients apart in the college application process because if you want to DIY your kids' college applications, that's, that's one way of doing the college application process. And it kind of shows because sometimes the students don't know the rules and they may break the rules even inadvertently because it's sort of a mad scramble. Maybe it's even during the winter holidays and the, the parents are home, the kids are home and it's just chaos. But at Bright Futures Consulting, we get ahead of the game, we follow the rules and we have strategies that we implement with our students. And Beth, I wanna add in here that the key to ethics is knowing the difference between strategy and manipulation. So acknowledge the rules, yes, strategize, but don't manipulate. And just as an example, you know, strategy would be thinking about which teacher knows you best and asking them early, you know, before they get overwhelmed with other requests. That would be strategy. Manipulation would be, you know, uh, subtly giving a threat to the teacher that you're going to tell, you know, your parent to raise a fuss if they don't write a good letter. Um, manipulation might be bribery, although a thank you gift card is, you know, that's just a thank you. That is not manipulation and teachers need those gift cards. But 
you know, manipulation would be kind of coercing or persuading the teacher to write something that is dishonest, um, which is why Common App requires that type of waiver. But strategy is just, again, making sure that you're asking the right person at the right time. So that's still acknowledging the rules without, you know, breaking or, you know, bending the rules. Students need to trust the process ultimately. If they don't follow the process and they don't trust the process, they're much more likely to do something untrustworthy. And sometimes you do just need to outright trust it uh, and know how important it is to follow those rules with integrity. And this is the first time a lot of students are putting themselves out there and it can feel really scary to put their true self out there to be judged essentially by a college um, and not feel the pressure to kind of, you know, bend a rule here or there to make themselves look better. Um, we understand that students can be tempted to shield themselves from potential pain or rejection by doing work that isn't the most honest. Um, it can be very tempting for adults too, not just students. But ultimately, again, uh, we do want them to have trust in the process that it was created, you know, a certain way for a reason uh, and just trust that we're helping them put their best foot forward. Um, in an honest way that they can feel proud of. And that if they do that, you know, colleges will see that and will honestly, on the other side of it, you know, make a decision as to where, whether that student is a good fit or not. So again, students, parents, if you're feeling overwhelmed, stressed, you know, tempted to bend the rules, not even break them, but bend them just a little bit, um, we encourage you to reach out to us for help. We are here to help you. Um, other people are as well. Again, like high school counselors, college admissions officers, uh, you know, friends that have already finished applying, you know, reach out, see what those resources are. And I promise once you get some answers, things will stop seeming so overwhelming. But ultimately, that's what we're here for is we're here to make the process a little smoother, a little more streamlined. And again, our biggest thing is we're just trying to create a generation of ethical adults. Um, we want them to be people that we are, you know, proud to know, proud to introduce our students to, who knows, proud to work for one day when they take over. But we care about our clients and we want them at the end of the day to say, I did my best, I followed the rules. And, you know, what happened uh, and what the outcome was is what is the best thing that could have happened for me. Beth, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Um, this was, I think, a really meaningful topic that I am uh, happy and proud to be invited to talk about. Um, so thank you again. I couldn't have said it better myself, Elena. This isn't our first rodeo, and we're here to help guide your students through the rules of engagement for the Wild West of college admissions. Okay, Bright Futures family, that's all for today's episode. Parents, here's your homework for this week. Talk to your teenager about why following the rules is more important now than ever, even if it doesn't seem like it. If they ask you who makes up the rules, you have the answer. Let them know these aren't imaginary rules or arbitrary rules that you made up. They're very real, with real consequences for breaking them. Have your student consider which path they'll take in the college admissions journey. Bright Futures Consulting Counselors can help answer any questions they have about each option. Finally, instill the importance of following the rules and really being honest whenever you can. Remind them that it's a two-way street. By being honest, you allow others to be also. I'll include all your homework and some resources for you to check out in my show notes. 
at brightfuturesllc.com slash show notes. Talk to you next time. Joining us this time on Self Accepted, guiding families through college admissions and big transitions. Created by your college counseling experts at Bright Futures Consulting. You can find more resources or schedule a complimentary consultation with a Bright Futures expert today on the Bright Futures Consulting website. That address is brightfuturesllc.com slash consultation hyphen podcast. If you like this month's podcast episode, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so you'll never miss an episode. You're officially one step closer to helping your student accomplish their college dreams. Their future will thank you. Thank you.